Welcome to the Loop Podcast, the podcast that deep dives what works today when it comes to marketing to the modern buyer. I'm your host, Fran Langham, Global Head of Demand Gen at Cognizant, and I'm delighted to have a fellow co-host with me, Cognizant's very own Head of Paid Acquisition, Janberg Becker. Hey, Janberg. Hi, Fran. Thank How you so you much doing? for having me. You're welcome. Um, so before we get into it, um, I just wanted to kind of set the scene a little bit. Um, today we're going to talk about paid and demand gen collaboration. Um, but before we share all that actionable and tactical advice, I just wanted to ask you one question. So I've referred to the modern buyer. So we're talking about how marketers should be marketing to the modern buyer in your experience, how has the buyer journey changed and what impact does this have on how you run paid? Oh, wow, that's a good question. So uh, I think all of us can agree that over the uh, past few years, the buyer journey, especially for the software products, has has undergone uh, significant changes. And we can actually count uh, a lot of reasons. Like during COVID, entrepreneurs had to focus on software first products. VCs were more generous in funding these startups. Therefore, the competition in the industry increased significantly. And uh, by competition, I'm not even talking about direct competition, but indirect competition. Like think about it. There are thousands of MarTech solutions uh, in the market that offer efficiency uh, marketers like Winter, Mutini, Metadata are all different solutions and they're all offering efficiency. But at the end of the day, you cannot buy 100 different marketing uh, tools for your uh, team. Therefore, uh, the marketing teams, we had to adapt our strategies to better uh, cater to the target audience. And uh, the content has always been the king. Content is the king and it always uh, it has always been the king. But I take content here in a uh, holistic view. Not only the website content, but uh, the all uh, content that you promote. It needs to be easy, but informative. And we have to place a great emphasis on educating the audience and providing them uh, with valuable information. And uh, speaking of this valuable information, like on this point, ebooks slash white papers, uh, they used to be really valuable resources. Like I used to read uh, ebooks from Red Hat Garden and they actually provided value. But, they, now, unfortunately, most of them, most of the companies have been using this uh, as an easy way to generate MQLs. And obviously, buyers know this. An average person on LinkedIn sees uh, tens of ads every day on LinkedIn. All of them, all of these ads claim that their product is the best. More, and most of these ads are uh, either ebooks or they direct people directly to a demo landing page with an awful UX. Uh, without providing any value as well. And buyers don't want to download one more amazing ebook anymore. They don't want to click to one more ad or they don't want to end up in a one more landing page. And that's what I meant by adopting our marketing strategies. Buyer habit has changed. Uh, the in-app user behavior has changed. And for this reason, most of our campaigns consist of ads uh, that can be consumed in feed while you scroll through the app. Uh, because we know that we don't have much time on the LinkedIn feed and we need to use that one millisecond in a really effective way. Uh, we still have some campaigns with traffic and conversion objectives like remarketing campaigns, but they are definitely not as many as uh, the rich campaigns. And that's how much our paid game actually had to evolve. And this is how much the buyer journey has changed. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I think as well the when when I was doing marketing like 
10 years ago or when I started, it was always <laughs> a long time ago. It was always a conversion first approach. So yeah, that I'm was actually, like, I'm not going to lie. It was easier. Like it was much easier to track uh, the MCAS. It was much e- easier to track cost per lead. Uh, and I'm not going to lie. Like I would sometimes miss them because you don't actually need to do a lot of stuff. But especially with our strategy, there was no blueprints. We didn't have any benchmark. We didn't have any blueprint. So we had to create our own benchmarks. And you or me, like, we still don't know if our benchmarks are correct. We are just looking at our pipeline and uh, continuing the things that are working, that are bringing pipeline. 100%. Um, yeah, it's always uh, it's that unknown, isn't it? I think living in a world where we were surrounded by a lovely blanket of MQLs and you could track them pretty seamlessly and also kind of look at how they were attributed. But I suppose what we've spoken a lot about in our content is it's a real kind of like false sense of security because the funnels that we create for the buyer are usually determined by our own objectives, our own priorities. And therefore the funnel is almost like an artificial funnel. So no one, so we're all the, we're ticking all of the right boxes in terms of like the company objectives, but one, we're not delivering value. And two, that actually isn't resulting in pipeline or revenue. Yeah, actually that artificial term was so accurate. Like I 100% agree. And because of that, uh, not only the marketing team, like the whole company actually thinks like you can't change this funnel. Like uh, I had a lot of convos with my previous CFOs or CEOs. They were like, okay, you have the same budget, but you will need to increase the number of MQLs by 20% because they don't respect marketing enough. They think marketing is all about generating MQLs. And they think like, okay, you can generate more MQLs for a cheaper price, but you just don't want to do it. But if they ask you to do so, you can do it. That's how much they don't know about marketing. <laughs> so I guess moving on to um, how demand gen and paid collaborate together. So we're talking about serving the modern buyer, being value-led. How do we actually do it in practice? So let's have a look at what the paid team focuses on versus what the demand gen team focus on. And that will lead into the whole capture demand versus create demand piece so do you want to start with like the paid team focuses versus like demand gen and i can chip in as well on on some of that sure uh i think uh the demand gen team and the paid uh team at cognizant are like a performance marketing agency and creative marketing agency uh and the demand generation uh the paid team sort of I was almost going to steal your thunder. No uh, the, the, the paid team uh, is acting like a, a performance marketing agency. And we are actually managing the uh, both demand creation campaigns and demand capture campaigns. But on the demand creation side, our management only includes day-to-day uh, optimization of the campaigns and giving the feedback. So uh, even though we are running uh, the LinkedIn campaigns uh, uh, for the demand creation, uh, we basically give feedback to the demand gen team. We say, okay, this is working or this is not working. And we first try to optimize uh, on the campaign level. Like if it is not working, if a campaign or if an ad is not working, we first check if there's something wrong on the campaign structure, if uh, there's something wrong in the targeting. Can we change it? If not, 
then we give the feedback to the demand team and we, we say, okay, we try everything on the structure side, we tried everything on the audience side, but apparently it is not working or it is not resonating. On the demand capture side, it is uh, it is like a complementary feature of the uh, demand creation side. So the uh, on the demand creation side, we basically try to create that awareness uh, on LinkedIn, on uh, Facebook, on Reddit, on YouTube. And on the capture side, we are trying to capture that demand um, either uh, on Google or Bing or on the uh, remarketing campaigns uh, from LinkedIn and Facebook. Cool. I like how you said the the capture piece is complementary to the to the create demand piece because I think often I've seen that at other companies and in other roles that I've worked at there's hasn't been as a lot of emphasis on the create demand as I said earlier it's more the capture demand but it's very much in silo so no one looks at like the create demand messaging and then ties that back into the to the capture piece which I think is super important. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, the whole strategy should be aligned. And now I think uh, one of the most important things we were able to achieve at Cognizim was to get rid of that silo. And I know that what the demand gen team will be working on in the next two weeks, in the next month. And the demand gen team knows what the paid team will be working on the next couple of weeks, on the next month. So we try to align everything as much as possible. And I think the major... Uh, the major part of the success is coming from this. Definitely. And I think maybe if we take a step back and explain, if I dig into like exactly how this looks, so from the demand gen side, so for thinking of like the whole flow, from the demand gen side, our goal is we focus like most of our time on the create demand. And that is providing to us, that's providing as much value to our core ICP um, as we possibly can. So the create demand piece in reference to paid, it's the um, insightful video content, insightful thought leadership pieces, um, interesting product ads um, that really like feed directly into like the pain point, really thinking about the messaging that we're putting out there. And I think like the huge benefit of that is we have this headspace to kind of really think about what message and what content we want to put out there. And when we send to the paid team to get live, um, it's that dual collaboration. So I know I send the team send ads to your team, Jambo, but I know we get feedback on, I see you're running with this messaging. Um, it's working really well, so that's great. Or um, it hasn't worked particularly well before. Are you sure you kind of want to move ahead with that? And then I think like the optimi- optimization piece as well, which is where we get continuous feedback um, from you guys is just absolutely crucial to making this work. 100% because uh, the Dimension team comes up with great ideas and sometimes those ideas are working in some audiences but sometimes uh, the same ad copy is not working in a different audience or there are some stuff that now we know that is not working uh, like we know that re- the S with red background does not work with uh, <laughs> our audience. Like we definitely know that or uh, we discovered that uh, there was a social proof ad and uh, the person actually saved 99 of their time with Cognizm. But it sounded like too good to be true and it didn't actually appear to resonate with the audience. Uh, And the amazing thing about uh, this feedback loop is that as soon as we see something, as soon as we see a pattern on the page site, uh, we 
uh, informed the Dimension team right away. And the Dimension team uh, is acting so reactively, like uh, they basically take the feedback and they improve. And then uh, our, the paint team's job actually gets much more easier. Uh, I actually like don't remember uh, working like uh, in a such uh, har- harmony, you know, like because uh, the Dimension team is not only like coming up with great ideas, but they are getting all of the feedback and turning that feedback into better ideas. And yeah, that's the one of the uh, most crucial things, uh, I guess. So the feedback loop that we have in place, maybe it'd be great if you could walk through exactly how that works in practice. So one of the DG team has come up with some ads, they've submitted them to the pay team to get live, like what happens next? And, you know, maybe we can talk about like the sprints and things like that and just how it all works. All right. So uh, we are using Asana and on Asana, actually, we try to create a board uh, similar to a development dashboard, similar to a product management dashboard. And uh, I used to be a product manager. So I actually tried to use that approach uh, in the marketing. Uh, And we start with the uh, request form. So like a user story in the product side. The request form is submitted by the uh, relevant demand jump person. Then it goes to uh, Fran. And then uh, Fran, our global head of demand gen, uh, needs to approve. And if she thinks that, okay, the request is okay, there is no need to change, uh, then uh, she moves the cart to my backlog. And then as a product manager, I check the back uh, I check the user story requirements I check the uh, form submission and if I have any feedback about uh, I don't know ad copy about the ad type I give the feedback but it is totally up to uh, the uh, the person who submitted the form to say that okay I hear your feedback but I still want to test this I still want to uh, carry on with this then I'm like okay uh, let's try uh, then either I Either I do it or I assign it to a relevant person in my team and they push the changes live. Sometimes if there is enough uh, as in our campaign, uh, we need to pass some campaigns. Uh, and the demand jump persons uh, either could offer uh, some S that we could pass or I can offer uh, the S that we need to pass. Uh, or sometimes they just say, uh, we need to pass these two S and I say, okay, I think uh, we need to pass this one and the other one. Uh, needs to change uh, but in every stage uh, both the paid team and the DG team knows what is going on so if I have a feedback the DG team knows it if DG team has a feedback I know it and then uh, we push the campaign live and after we push either the campaign or at live uh, then we start monitoring uh, we audit the channels uh, every week and we audit every campaign now we kind of uh, automated all of this process. So if there's a change in a campaign metric, we get a notification on Slack, and which actually made our uh, job much easier because especially on LinkedIn, we have more than 500 live campaigns. Uh, and uh, during, the, uh, during the first week, we audit and we look at the numbers. Uh, but even if like the numbers uh, are not good enough, it is okay for us, like for us, uh, we don't mind, we, we don't care about the first week performance. We need to see a pattern in order to pause the campaign. So we watch the campaign for two weeks with a three-day time period. Three-day, three-day, three-day. And uh, actually, it is like 
looking at a uh, share price on stock exchange. If you see a positive trend, okay, keep it up. But if you see a negative trend going on for two weeks in a row with three-day time period, okay, then it means that we need to optimize. But uh, as you know, friend, like I'm actually very against pausing this right away. Like I feel like we need to try our best. Like if an ad is not if an ad is not working, it shouldn't mean that we should pause it. We should try with a different ad copy. We should try with uh, maybe changing the volume prop a bit. But pausing that is always the last resort. And I don't think we pause an ad before like six weeks uh, since I joined. Not that, seen, not that I've seen no I think the it's so important um since I think since you joined us I remember well prior to you joining us we would really our heads would just be like surface level ad creative and we would report on them every single week and we'd be in that account and we'd be pausing them like after two or three days if they weren't working and I think that's a crucial change that we've made now is that it doesn't matter if, um, and where you've really educated us, Jamburk, is that it doesn't matter if the performance dips for a day, um, things like this happen. We've got to give it a decent runtime. Um, also, it can be the ad copy, the creative, the audience, the landing page. Like there are so many variables. So I think just having that, being comfortable having that two week runtime, uh, we've definitely seen better results for sure. Yeah, because also now the team knows, the dimension team knows the audience very well. They know the audience, they know the market. So it is not like, come on, create a new one. Uh, once they create a new ad, we know that that ad actually is coming from a know-how. So we just need to improve that ad. We shouldn't pause. And you remember the meat in it. Like, uh, it is now uh, one of our best performing ads, but apparently it was paused uh, when it was launched in first, like probably in the beginning of August. Uh, it went well, but after three weeks, uh, it was paused, and it was paused because three weeks was more than enough to launch it. Uh, but then we relaunched it again, and it has been the best performing it for how long, friend? Months, months, <laughs> months. We've struggled to beat that performance, and that's like that's the thing. Like you really rescued some ads from the graveyard really we'd, we'd pause them and said they're not working and it's amazing to actually see we now revisit ads that have been paused months ago bring them back give them more of a chance a longer runtime, tweak the captions and then I think that really just feeds into doesn't you don't always have to have like a, a big team or lots of resource because it can be that two or three ads are your top performance like top performance and if you're not hitting frequency then you know, keep them going. Um, just because we're we're probably sick of seeing it because we are like we've created those ads, but it, we you know some of, some of our audience have probably never seen them. So yeah, I mean, think about uh, the bi-weekly updates uh, from me. I'm like, okay, the mid in it is once again the best performing one, but I'm bored. The boring is on the marketing side; they are the best performing ones. But since I keep saying this that for the last five months, I am bored. Please, let's create something new. For sure. I think um, what just resonated with me, what you just said earlier, the um, when we were talking about uh, how the team's set up, right? So DG and paid. I think the accountability piece has been crucial for us. So for me, like the DG team know that they are completely accountable for the content within our paid social buckets. They are completely accountable for pro providing value um, for our ICP, 
and whether that is a you know a video series a product ad whatever that looks like and I think them on the flip side of that like the paid team is completely accountable for optimize getting these ads live optimizing them and reporting back and there's those two phases of accountability and it's so clear it means that we do operate in that very seamless way and I'd stress the accountability because um it's really helped us but it doesn't actually mean that the DG team can't go in and say, oh, Jambrick, I've seen a campaign and I've got an idea. Um, seems the engagement rate's not exactly what it was or whatever. And you guys can have like informed discussions about that. So it's almost like everyone's responsible for this performance, but it's like the accountability is very clearly defined. And I think that's probably what makes for a very good feedback loop. Um, yeah, definitely. Like the good thing is everyone owns everything. And I know that, uh, okay, we are managing the day-to-day operations of LinkedIn, but also I know that uh, the dimension team comes to me and they tell me, okay, have you noticed that this is going weird? I'm like, thank you so much. Because sometimes we miss it. Sometimes their ideas are actually the ideas that we haven't thought about. And since both of the teams are owning the same channel, uh, the things are almost uh, like almost perfect. Mm. I like that. Almost, almost perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I cannot say perfect. No, I know. I know. So we've explored our team setup um, and just kind of gone through that, that feedback loop that we've got. Um, in terms of results, it'd be great if we can dive a little bit in what we define as success. And we get asked this question quite a lot. So, um, great, the teams are working in harmony. Um, what are your best results? Like, how do you define success? So for let's take a LinkedIn campaign. How are we looking at that in terms of what's successful? Uh, so for that, I think we need to t- uh, look at this from two perspectives, in-platform metrics and the pipeline metrics. And on the in-platform metrics, uh, we need to take into account, take into consideration the campaign objective. So currently we have three objectives, uh, reach, traffic, and conversion. Uh, on the traffic side, obviously, uh, one of the most important metrics is to generate as many people to our website decrease the bounce rate and understand how they consume the content. So not only over there, we check the CTR, we check the bounce rate and uh, uh, yeah, bounce rate, CTR and time on the page, uh, but also on the pipeline side, uh, actually we can track uh, them basically from the first UTM or any uh, touch points. So it is easier to track uh, the performance of traffic campaign, again, first, number of visitors, how uh, they consume your content on your website, and then if they convert to pipeline. Uh, on the conversion side, it is, I believe, the uh, easiest one because it is for the remarketing campaigns and we can basically track the success by the last UTM and pipeline. But when it comes to rich campaigns, things uh, get a bit weird because, uh, as I said, like rich campaigns, the whole uh, the match generation concept didn't have any blueprints, didn't have any benchmarks. So we had to create our own structure. And uh, for the rich campaigns, uh, we are after engagement. Uh, we do not after, we are not after CTR, we are not after uh, CPC, but we are after reaching as many people as possible uh, and get uh, as, mo- as much engagement as possible. Uh, and 
when we run the rich campaigns in platform, we track the engagement rate. And we track the engagement rate uh, evolvement over time. But also, we are trying to understand how this engagement rate actually impacted the pipeline. Because uh, what we are saying is that these people actually do not click on that. Uh, these people do not come to our website. So uh, we actually don't have a lot of chance to uh, understand if this uh, has have been impactful. Uh, but now we are uh, we are able to actually uh, track the impression data, and uh, with Hockey's tech, uh, we can now marry the data between Salesforce and impression, and we can now actually see that if a company uh, that is in the pipeline stage or that is uh, that just happened close one uh, have seen RS, if they seen uh, RS before a meeting, before they actually converted, and now uh, we can say that. Okay, even though we are not seeing this at in the uh, in the UTMs at all, apparently that person has seen our ad, and this ad brought the revenue, and that's how we optimize. So we are trying to marry the engagement rate and the revenue data all together. Yeah, and it's a real, I guess, real complex view, isn't it? So with um, the introduction Definitely. of that has been fab, but um, there's so many different data points that we can look at, right? Yeah, and the thing is, like, we know that the marketing journey, the user journey will never be linear. And we yeah. know that we embrace that. And uh, actually, yeah, the other thing we look at uh, is the human attribution forms, uh, which tell us a lot of stuff. And I wish everyone complete that. I wish everyone filled that out. <laughs> <Who do I? laughs> uh, but I think the most important thing that it showed us uh, was the YouTube ads. Because we've been running these YouTube ads, uh, and okay, in the platform side, the view rate was good. The uh, I don't know impressions were good. People were engaging, but actually, we had no idea if these ads uh, were bringing anything. Uh, but then we started to see YouTube answers at the end of the human uh, human attribution forms, and it was amazing. Like uh, I think on February. The total uh, YouTube answers we got was uh, higher than the total of the YouTube answers we got in the last 12 months. And it basically showed us, okay, YouTube is working. Uh, so actually, yeah, people who are listening to us, if you say attribution form, please fill that out. <laughs> so our human attribution form, just for anyone who doesn't know, is um, how did you hear about us? So once you complete yeah. our demo form and you get taken to our thank you page, we say, and if you have a moment, please tell us where you heard about us. And as you were saying, Janbuk, the it's amazing for um, YouTube ads where it's difficult to know if they're working. So seeing those positive signs um, through the human verified attribution, aka how did you hear about us, um, has been very, very helpful. I'm going to just ask um a well maybe not a curveball question but out of the blue question so on that we've spoken about hockey stack and how it's it's starting to give us those really interesting insights and we have also spoken about other tools that we use um so we use like metadata we use mutiny for like message test um sort of to a b test our messaging we use winter for message testing all all that great stuff and i'd say as a company we're very tool rich um and we work in a very flat structure whereby we are able to implement new processes quite easily. If I'm a marketer working in an enterprise company doing lead gen, thinking that I want to move to demand gen and start 
um, running LinkedIn or any paid campaigns that are ungated and I am thinking about how I'm going to track these results, where would you suggest that I start? Oh, that's a tricky question. Sorry, I just thought <laughs> it could be a good one. <laughs> okay, I think uh, first, I think we need to take a step back. And I actually had a, had a chance to speak uh, a lot of marketers from these enterprise companies who tried to approach, who, who tried to get uh, the dimension approach instead of big jump. Uh, but they failed. And I that was one common thing uh, in all of their stories, they thought the demand generation was basically about ungating, ungating all of their ebooks. Uh, but the things that I'm going to say right now will be for the actual demand generation. Uh, so it is not only about ungating the ebooks, but if you are going to implement a similar structure that we have at Cognizant, like uh, volume first uh, content, volume first as uh, with a structured uh, me- method. Then I would first say uh, you will have to understand the impact of your S. And uh, obviously, like Frank, you know it better, like the buy-in uh, from lead gen to demand gen. Like, I wasn't here when you had, when you had to switch. So probably the uh, buy-in was hard, was challenging. And I tried to implement the generation method in my previous company and I failed. Uh, but... For this reason, you have to convince the uh, convince everyone, especially the sales people, uh, because they might get a bit freak out if they see a drop in the number of MQRs. And for this reason, I think uh, the best reason would be to understand if your demand gen campaigns are working, if your rich campaigns are working. And in this case, you probably hockey stack would be the best option uh, because then you would be able to marry your data on your CRM and campaigns. And you would be able to say uh, to your team, like, okay, even though we are not seeing these companies uh, in our Salesforce uh, with the proper UTMs, actually, look, these companies saw RS a couple of days before, then they converted. So this is actually attributed to our demand gen campaign. Other than that, Mutiny, I think, uh, is a great tool to customize all of the website and you can actually uh, do really good messaging, uh, create really good uh, landing pages at scale without uh, even spending a lot of time. Sure, definitely. I think as well when, um, I think when starting out on this journey, it's important, like we just really started to look at the engagement rate on the platform, so in-platform metrics, and we wanted to see that increase in engagement rate, but then we also really we're just looking for a general trend upwards in our inbound demo requests and then I think as we've got more advanced we've like layered in those that like the key tech stack that you've just described for sure by the way then what tech stack would you recommend then what tech stack would I recommend so I think for I think when starting out I think it's so difficult to get the buy-in particularly in an enterprise company where you might have um mapped out your your finance team have mapped out an MQL model for the next 12 months. So it's tough, right? Um, and yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking about my uh, previous experiences. Yeah. yeah. And then to, so to then go to senior leadership and say, oh, hi, I also want this 
tech, this tool um, for a demand gen model that I haven't proven out yet, it's like super difficult. So <laughs> what I would do is I would probably start with no tech, or if I had to choose one piece of tech, I would, um, or, or one um, provider, I would choose winter for messaging because the key goal of demand gen is to provide value to your audience all the time where they hang out. Like that's what we say. So I would get investment into winter if I could really work on, get a small test budget agreed for demand gen, really think about, um, understand the ICP, think about adding lots of value. I would launch these test campaigns and I would just start reporting upwards on the success. And by reporting upwards, I would look at engagement rate in platform. Yes, pipeline, but then pipeline takes quite a while to generate in some cases, like depending on your like lead, like sort of your, um, what am I trying to say? Your sales cycle. Um, I was going to say your lead cycle. And I was going to say life cycle. Well, there we go. So many buzzwords. Um, and then I would also report qualitative results as well. So feedback on the ads, like this ad's amazing. This has been really valuable. Emails into your marketing at inbox. Like this content has really helped me do X, Y, and Z. It's really helped me solve a pain point. And I would start reporting those results upwards alongside lead gen. Um, because you'd still be doing lead gen at that point because you've definitely not convinced <laughs> not doing it. And I'd do that. And then I would hope that that would work and slowly make the transition and introduce more tech at a later date, I think. Fair. And regarding winters, uh, what was the test that, I don't know, changed your life? Changed my life. So we, um, homepage test, this was set up um, by Vera, our product marketing manager, our head of product marketing. And we ran a test on our homepage. So we went under, sort of went this big rebrand. And then we basically had um, all new color palette, all new messaging, brand new website. And our headline on our homepage was connect with your perfect match. Which oh, means, I remember. remember. I remember. Like I wasn't working there, but I accepted the offer back then. And I, I was, I, I saw the rebranding. I went to the website. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, um, well, we loved it. We, th- we thought it was the one. We <laughs> the provider, connect with your perfect match. Um, so we actually ran our homepage through winter. Winter's great because you can just put, you, know, you can literally put the screenshots off the page. You can highlight areas that you want to get feedback on and you can ask, um, you can request this feedback from your core ICP. So for us, it was like marketing and sales leaders. I think like the first few results were like, uh, the first few responses we got in, it was like, not sure what Cognizant does. Um, sounds like a dating site. Um, very <laughs> unclear. So I was like, oh no. Um, so actually to cut a long story short, cause I could go on about this forever. We <laughs> sat down and we didn't even sit down. We were on a Slack chat. And I think it was Alice at the time said, how would, how would we describe what we do to our parents or our grandparents and people that don't even know anything about SAS? And we ended up with a message, which was like, which is there still there now, which is you <laughs> B2B email addresses and phone numbers of people you want to do business with. That's what we decided. Uh, we set that 
live, um, made an annotation in Google Analytics, um, set that live, and then um, it was a over like forty percent increase in conversions when we made that change. So that was when I was like, "Whoa, winter is amazing," because there's no way we would have ever done that independently. Like, no way. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, because. I mean, I remember, like, I saw that, but I was like, probably they thought about that a lot. And but back then, you had like 30 people in the marketing team. So I was like, yep, probably like 30 people a bit on that day made the mm. test. And it, it should be good. Like, it should be providing good results. Definitely. And don't you think that, I think when you're in it, you have such tunnel vision. So actually being able to ask an outside opinion is... So at scale as well. So bearing in mind, we run this test through winter and it takes like 24 hours to come back, less than in some cases. So we're able to actually do this like super fast, which is amazing. Um, and the good yeah. thing about winter, if you don't like the uh, review, they give you a refund and they exchange it to a different person. Uh, I had this issue like two weeks ago. Someone asked... Yeah, someone saw the Cognizant headline. I was testing this landing page and the real was Cognizant reminds me a brain surgery. Please change your name. I was like, okay, this was not the feedback I'm looking for. Yeah, that is weird. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I didn't know that. Well, I'll um now we've stopped fangirling. We should probably stop fangirling winter just for a moment, even though if you don't have it, get it. It's great. Um, and this podcast is not sponsored by Winter. <laughs> exactly. So let's wrap up with a few key learnings, actually. This um, hopefully will be very tactical, but um, I wanted you to talk about a campaign, a paid campaign that we've ran um, that hasn't gone so well, and what did we learn from it? Uh, I think we could give the Mojo campaigns as an example. Uh, in summer, uh, in the Dimension team, we have two posts, sales post and the marketing post. And both of these posts created a stand-alone campaign. One of the campaign was a boring campaign for the marketeers. And it was about the B2B bar, B2B uh, marketing doesn't have to be boring. The second one uh, was for the sales personnel and it was about uh, don't lose your mojo even if you cannot connect with the right people at the right time. Uh, even though Boring as a uh, campaign has become one of the most successful campaigns we ever uh, ran, the Mojo campaign wasn't successful and we had to pause it uh, probably within the first couple of weeks. Uh, but then a couple of months ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, going through the previous ads and I saw a couple of the Mojo's and I was like, actually these are very powerful. It's like when I look at the uh, copy when I when I checked the value prop it was they're they all very powerful so I was like you know what I went to Tim uh the sales port dimension manager who created the campaign I, I said look I'm thinking of testing this what do you think and he was like yes let's do it uh so we repurposed the content and we launched again the biggest problem uh when the campaigns were first launched was that uh the Mojo campaigns uh, were dedicated for two personas SDRs 
and SDR managers. However, back then the agency who was managing the accounts didn't make that uh, split, and uh, those campaigns actually were targeting both of the audiences of, in the in the same time. So probably SDR managers were seeing the content for SDRs, and SDRs were seeing the content for SDR managers. But uh, in the new campaigns, uh, we had to split. So for the Individual contributors, uh, we have rolled out the campaigns uh, with the SDR content. In and for the ICP, we roll out the content for the decision makers. Uh, and now it has been like a month uh, and they are doing amazing. Like the same copy, same ad, we didn't change anything. But the engagement rate is probably like 5x better. And actually, uh, I gave a feedback uh, to the sales spot like about we needed new content but now that the modules are doing so well we probably won't need any new content for the next month or so so Wait. this is about audience like if you target the right audience then the ad that was that didn't work very well uh, previously could do wonders could be the one of the best ads. yeah that's such a good learning i think for us we were always taught um on like LinkedIn, for example, LinkedIn 101, it was it was always like, make your audience as large as possible. It has to be over like 300,000 people. Um, so I think having having the idea to say, which it's kind of obvious now you say it, but at the time we were just looking to make that audience as big as possible. But if you think about it, we were running a, so to, the Mojo campaign was for sales leaders and SDRs, but we're running an ad that says like, have you lost your cold calling Mojo? And it goes to an SDR and it goes to a sales leader at the same time in the same campaign. And of course, it's not going to resonate with the sales leaders because they're not cold calling anymore because they've been there and done that. But then noticing when we're changing, even the ad caption a tiny bit, has your team lost their cold calling Mojo? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, this is the interesting thing like okay i do agree with having a large audience but also even with that large audience uh it needs to be split like uh the enterprise persona will not uh engage uh with the same content that in uh with the general audiences or icps won't be engaging with the ic content uh even though okay we need to reach as many people as possible but we need to reach these people in a smart way. We need to understand if they engage or not. Definitely. Yeah, that's such a good learning. I think one more thing as well, which we spoke about briefly like a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week. Um, do you remember our best performing ad ever? Well, not ever. Meet Ian. Meet Ian, right? So meet Ian, just for the listeners, give it a bit of context. That was in our social proof bucket. Um, and it was like meet Ian... Yeah, Ian has. He, he's an account executive at this ca uh, company and he loves cognizant. Yeah, there you go. Um, you've seen that ad. <laughs> you know that ad off by heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't draw that right now. <laughs> so it's like our best performing ad. How do we, um, how do we improve on that? Because we always want to be improving on our benchmarks. And what surprised me was when you and I had a conversation, you finally in the paid labs, um, I think, or the, the yeah, paid labs feedback, you were saying, we finally have an ad that beats the meet Ian ad, which we've been trying to do. And you said to me, it's only taken us 10 iterations. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my question's going to be around how long do you persevere with these types of quests? to beat the <laughs> benchmark. What is it going to be forever? 
Yeah, it was actually a very interesting case because, uh, like, actually that ad didn't need to be changed. It was the one of the best performing ads, and it was doing so well. But uh, we had been running it for the last three months, and it was easy to see that uh, the frequency was getting higher. And uh, we know that we now create our own frequency benchmarks. We know uh, our engagement rate benchmarks. And we can now assume that if an ad uh, will hit a certain frequency, the engagement rate will start to, to decrease. So I was like, okay, it is going well, but probably in the next month or so, we will be seeing a decrease. And I know that this is the best performing game. So we need to think about something right now because it might not, the solution that we will come up might not be the most ideal solution. But honestly, I didn't take, I didn't think that it, it was going to take 10 tries. <laughs> uh, but we did try like literally 10 different ad copies, maybe 11. And all of the uh, nine ad copies uh, didn't outperform meeting. And like not only they didn't outperform, but the engagement rate was like maybe two times uh, lower, three times lower. Uh, and each time I was giving this feedback, each time I was reporting on it, I, I was like, I hope they don't uh, feel frustrated. I'm sorry, but they are not performing. These are not performing. Uh, but finally, and finally, after 10 different uh, S, we found a way uh, to add and it that add perform we need here. But sometimes miracles take time. Sure. No, definitely. And I think that's where the account, like going back to how the team's set up, where that accountability piece comes in from your side, right? So if it was the DG team owning everything like we used to, we'd be like, that's an amazing performing ad and we wouldn't actually worry about it. But what actually happened with you is you said, guys, this is great, but you had the foresight to be like, but this is not going to be great forever. Like people are going to get bored of Ian. Like, sorry, Ian, but people are going to get bored of this. So I think that's another thing. Like you've continuously pushed us to do like like smash the benchmarks that we already have in place, which we we need to, you know, we always want to be pushed to kind of do better, but also um, just foresee those problems um, that we may have with performance. And then w the DG team can continue to like really focus on the messaging um, and the content. So I think that's a huge circling back to the team structure. I think that's a huge benefit. Um, so one final question, because I think we could probably go on for hours um, talking about all of the tests that we've ran. Yeah, this is my last quote today. So please, I don't <laughs> have anything to do. So <laughs> I was interested in your thoughts on this, actually. And I don't think I've asked you um, outside of this podcast. So we keep having conversations around... Um, different like using different platforms so we've got linkedin we've got facebook you guys are testing stuff on youtube on reddit um so there's there's different platforms but then also i'm seeing companies like linkedin for example trying to shift towards this demand gen approach um with the ad offerings that they're that are available so not only do we have like the static ads but it's now vertical ads um there's like story ads there's influencer ads there's like vertical ads document ads like all of those different things so i just wanted to know what are your thoughts on this like what are you most excited to test like what is what's piqued your interest different formats different channels like what are you excited to test as our head of paid acquisition Okay, I have uh, a personal view and a professional view. 
my personal view uh, is the verticalness. And uh, both Tim and Jamie from the Matchgen team, they know how I'm obsessed with verticalness. I don't know why, but I think they will do a really great job. And, and vertical be... ads, sorry to interrupt, just explain why we love vertical ads so much. Uh, so it is basically the story size ad, and it uh, you can see it on your whole screen. Like uh, it is only for mobile. So uh, the people that are using uh, on desktop, they don't see that. And on the app, it basically covers all of your screen. So the audience must see your ad. They cannot miss it. Literally, they cannot miss it. Uh, and uh, if your value prop is good, since audience won't be able to miss it at all, your engagement rate might skyrocket. Uh, and we did test this uh, with one of the sales demo campaigns. Uh, and yeah, the engagement rate skyrocketed. Uh, and it went so well that uh, now we are expanding it to other uh, campaigns like product value. Now it is also coming in the marketing uh, side. Uh, so the vertical is, I don't know, somehow I feel like uh, they are going to be great. Uh, and I have no professional opinion about why. I have no professional uh, idea about why, but I love them. Yeah, on the professional side, yeah, I have a really good feeling. <laughs> I have a good hunch. <laughs> uh, on the professional side, though, I think now uh, we were enrolled to a new beta program uh, called click to message uh, on LinkedIn. So we would be able to target uh, people on their homepage, uh, either remarketing or any audience we want, but we will start with the remarketing uh, side. The audience will be able to see our ad. It could be a vertical ad, it could be a horizontal, it could be a square. Then once they click on that ad, they would be able to send a message to us directly. So it could be a message to our head of sales, it could be a message directed to Alice, and uh, we can, work on the whole journey like we can create a workflow on what happens after they send the message that message could be i'm interested or just give me a copy of uh the diary of cmo give me a hard copy of the diary of cmo uh but it would help us to uh reach with the, reach to audience and get engaged with the audience literally on the personal level and the audience could be able to uh, engage with us like directly. I think that would be a huge deal on the remarketing side. Yeah, crazy. We could probably do a whole episode on. We didn't start it yet, right? Uh, we are probably going to start this week. This week, okay. We should probably do a follow up episode on your predictions and the success of. Um... So what I would suggest is that if it gets successful, let's do an episode. If not, uh, we don't talk about it ever. <laughs> perfect sounds good to me well I um that was my last question because otherwise we'll be here all evening um thank you so much this has been super insightful and yeah we'll um well I'll speak to you later yeah thank you so much for having me friend it was a pleasure see you later